Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to Read Initiative. My name is Dr. Katherine Garforth from Garforth Education, and today I have the pleasure of Dr. Aaron Schreck joining me from the Maritimes, and we are speaking about how the Ontario Human Rights Commission's Right to Read Public Inquiry recommendations can be used uh, for the early childhood years because those are really important years for pre-reading skills to develop, and there's a lot that we can do. Thank you for joining me today, Erin. Why don't you give listeners a little bit of a background about who you are and what you do before we dive into these recommendations? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so my name is Erin Scryer, and I own and operate several early learning centers here in uh, New Brunswick. So I have a few in St. John and two in Quispamsis, um, my hometown. And so throughout the, the organization and the early learning centers, I have eight preschool, four-year-old preschool classes. So um, really the focus of our conversation has been around those classrooms, that four-year-old setting. And yeah, thinking about the part um, and how that applies to the early childhood preschool setting. Yeah, well, it definitely... Uh, it can and it should because there are things that we can do to screen students in the preschool years that alert us to weaknesses and we're not diagnosing them, but we are, um, you know, identifying the areas that we should be working on in those preschool years when intervention is most effective so that we can have the best success for all of our students. So today our plan is to go through the Ontario Human Rights Commission's uh, recommendations and see how they can be applied to a early childhood education program, whether that's an early learning and daycare center or a strictly like a preschool or a junior kindergarten environment. Now, the recommendations around, you know, that the curriculum are starting at number 27 in the Ontario Human Rights Commission's Appendix 1. And now a lot of them are having to do with a little bit more uh, higher up when we're actually teaching kids to use or to, to read. But I think, you know, the first ones were removing references to queuing, queuing systems and guessing strategies for word reading. And we're talking about removing approaches that have not been scientifically validated. Now, in these years that you're working with, we're not expecting kids to be readers. But we, we can tell them strategies that they can use to help understand the story, but not help say, now, if you look at the picture, you can guess the word. Right. Yeah. So I think it's what we've talked about earlier is those emergent literacy skills. And, and if I had my way would have been to have some of that discussion in that report. I know that wasn't the focus. They were looking at formalized reading instruction, but if we peel back the onion or go back in time, you know, it's those emergent literacy skills that are important in the early years that lay the foundation for some of these foundational skills, for all these foundational skills. So in my context is bringing that 
kind of information and knowledge to my team and my educators. And so if we think bigger in terms of vision for ECE would be what, you know, and, and hey, maybe it's something we can recommend to the, uh, to the Human Rights Commission or, or someone else around, you know, what, what does literacy look like in early childhood? And we're not talking, you know, unfortunately, even in our curriculum framework, it talks about multi-literacies and, and, you know, it really doesn't, it's not following the science of reading. So we're even seeing that in, a, in an early years curriculum framework. So pulling that out though, and taking that opportunity to know there is a science of reading and how does that relate in the early years, again, around those emergent literacy skills. So, you know, there is the early phonological awareness and playing with the sounds of language and, and priming children's brains to the sounds and the cadence of nursery rhymes and poems and that that language focus um, but even things like print knowledge you know that that print carries meaning that print carry goes from left to right um, how we're using um, approaches as we've talked about before really popular in, in preschool programs is the read aloud but how can we um, refine our read aloud to support um, more explicitly children's emergent literacy skills and even just making our educators aware of the skills that they're targeting you know they're doing a lot of this anyway but are they aware in kind of a um, methodical way what they're what they're targeting through their work with children I think that's really important for our ECE field to themselves even recognize the value and that's I'm always pumping up my teams like the value of what they do uh, but knowing that more explicitly so yeah I think in in the the recommendations really like coming back to then what are the emergent literacy skills? You know, I think the report talks really well about foundational literacy skills in the big five, but what's yeah. even before that? And then as you and I have spoke about lightly, we can talk about today, is that piece around the screening and monitoring um, yeah. of children in the early years when, you know, that's reading difficulties, even not formalized reading difficulties, but the, you know, the hints that children are going to perhaps struggle with reading or literacy, you know, they do emerge really early. And so how can we notice them and what do we do with that? Definitely. Well, and I think, especially when we're looking at the older years of ECE, the next two recommendations have important information with them. So we're requiring mandatory, explicit, systematic and direct instruction for foundational reading skills, including phonemic awareness, phonics, and decoding and word reading proficiency. Now, when we're looking at the early childhood years, we're looking at those foundational reading skills about print awareness and alphabetic knowledge, as well as phonological and phonemic awareness. We're not expecting preschoolers to be able to blend, segment, delete, and replace things, but they can start to understand and recognize when words begin with the same first sound and counting the number of syllables in a word. Right, that early phonemic awareness, right? And thank you, Catherine recently shared with me an article, um, and I didn't know about it, uh, that, you know, have some big names in there, Kilpatrick and Moats, among others. I gave it away this morning. I'm going to print myself uh, so I don't have it right here. But, you know, it was speaking to those pieces, right? And reminding ourselves that, you know, K1 is really that segmenting and blending of phonemes. So, again, if we then work backwards, so that's not the focus in preschool, right? That we're still so much more foundational and 
playful. And I think you'll hear that. I know some of your guests participating in kindergarten programs throughout the country that may have four-year-olds and that important, even at five and six, uh, and my whole school is premised on the importance of play and playfulness, um, but being really mindful um, where children are at in their development, offering developmentally appropriate practice. Um, but again, I think when we go back to those, you know, around the screening and monitoring around, you know, what are the kind of hints or things that we're seeing that indicate a child might, you know, may struggle? And then what does that mean in terms of the provision that we offer them? Yeah, well, I, there, there are two things that I think uh, and that document, and we can post it in the resources okay. that really stood out for me. And it was kind of um, nice to read them because they're things that I've always believed in and done with my students. Now, one is working with compound words and kids in this age love to figure things out. They love to be word scientists. So if you show them a picture of a cup, and then a piece, a picture of a cake. Can you put them together to make one word? Cupcake, right? Right. And then yes. how about butter and fly? Can we put them together to make one word? Butterfly. Now these are great activities that are enjoyable. They're playful and they're easy to incorporate into your curriculum as part of that circle time activity. Um, and there are various things that we can do to help support those developments. The other thing is when we're talking about syllables, now syllables are units uh, in the word and there we can teach preschoolers to count syllables. Now, the reason why this is so important is once they're able to break a word up into two syllables and blend it together, that means that they're ready to move on to that next step of blending and segmenting simple CVC words, right? And that is a crucial step in reading development. Now, you may have some students in your programs that can do the blending and segmenting of a three sound word like at, cat, um, you know, kids as young as two or three, some of them can do that if they're really skilled and advanced and have had that attunement, but doing, working on the syllables, that's something that you can do and clapping along with syllables or what do you see, uh, or what do you guys do? Well, one of the favorite things that the children do is we do, you know, how many times does your chin hit your hand? Mm -hmm. And so they think that's, that's really funny. Um, you know, there's programs that do, you know, cupcake and all those pieces, but for those children, again, who needed a little more explicitness around, you know, how does that feel and what does that do? You know, really putting their hand here and cupcake, it hit my, hit my hand twice, um, yeah. has been a really fun piece around there, but yeah, certainly starting with those syllables, starting with, you know, cards that I mean, don't require children to read. They cannot read, but the pictures, you know, the cup and the cake and putting those together. Um, so yeah, that is, that is where we start. And again, that would be, you know, kind of four-year-old preschool. Um, there'd be, you know, meetings and, and we do have morning and afternoon meetings with read-alouds and nursery rhymes and, and some of that language play. But I, I certainly feel for us anyway, it becomes more explicit 
mm-hmm. as children are four and you know syllables like my 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 son can tell me about a syllable mm-hmm. and that's the other piece too that I think a lot of us on this journey with the science of reading it's giving students and children that vocabulary you know phonemes syllables segmenting and as you said you know they get really excited about being word scientists well yeah. that's a big piece of it too that they know the vocabulary for the pieces of words that they're they're playing with or working with and it's really motivating um syllable is you know a fairly big word for a little four-year-old and you know he's very proficient to tell you that there's three syllables in this word or that and and so i i think the motivation that comes from that and and yeah. giving and back you know let's tie it back to language right we are supporting children's language development by naming children naming things and and giving them the names for the concepts that are that are accurate and that actually describe what they're doing because what i have found is then if we again scale this up to older children you know that children that know that vocabulary it's well how many syllables are in that multi-syllabic word you're you're reading so how many vowels should you have go check your spelling you know um so i think for us and i'm not going to say you know i'm very much on a journey here and we all are um but as we've learned those things that you know there's a vowel in every syllable well what what a thing to share with students about their spelling for example we haven't always done that um but we're getting there and learning those pieces so now being able to start with our preschoolers and then know some of this vocabulary and name what a syllable is other than um, you know, the parts in words or different ways, you know, those ones that we clap, right? And they wouldn't necessarily know that that's called a syllable. Um, so that's been part of the practice in preschool too, is giving children and educators, um, because as educators, teachers and early ch- childhood educators uh, together, we're learning these terms, right? So giving both the educator and the children uh, those terms and those vocabulary has been really uh, fun and interesting this year as well. For sure. And another way that I love doing with little kids for teaching syllables is saying it with your lips closed mm. and you could, you can hear the vowels. So you can count like, hmm, hmm. you can like it. Yeah. And they think it's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least the ones that I've worked with have. Yeah. And that was in the report I read last night that you shared with me on the phonemic awareness piece and, and, you know, really calling children's attention to what is your tongue doing? What are your teeth doing? Um, again, I don't think that has been regular practice for many of us. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe in certain instances, you know, where a student's really struggling with something and I have tons of these handheld mirrors that you would go. But I, I really like the idea of and the vision for early childhood and beyond about that being just part of our practice that we know for the majority of students that will be beneficial, that they can talk about where the air is, where their tongue is, how that feels, what that looks like. And again, in early years, we have such an opportunity because that's fun and playful and and children are still, you know, very egotistical. So they're not worried that what are they looking at when they've, you know, what do they look like when they've ah, got their their mouth wide open, you know, they'll, they'll do that very eagerly. Um, so a lot of that play with language and those pieces that way too. Definitely. Now, so there are other things that the report talks about. And one of them that I wanted to highlight was morphology. Because personally, I think there's some morphemes that we can teach in the ECE years, not as this is how you spell it. And this is like, not super formally, but mentioning it in passing and that incidental learning that can happen. Because of course, not all of your students are going to be at the level where they can understand this, but there are going to be some that can grab onto that knowledge 
and use it. And the, the one that I always like using uh, is working with buy or uni, buy and try and cycle. Mm-hmm. Because you've got a unicycle, a bicycle, and a tricycle. And pointing out the number of wheels and oh, there's a triangle has three sides. Yeah. Uh, and a cycle is a wheel. What can we think of other things? And um, a lot of preschools also do, you know, the butterfly life cycle mm-hmm. and ways that we can introduce this. And, you know, when young kids, especially in those ECE years are playing with language and just figuring it out, one of the suffixes often comes actually a couple of them. So this plural suffix mm-hmm. S trying to figure out which words need it and which words don't, and whether it's, or Z, right? It's not a formal lesson, but you can do it in an incidental manner. Uh, and then also the suffix ed, and talking about whether it needs to be past tense or how it's pronounced. Right. And I think that's that, you know, cause we're, we're bringing in, so obviously this is a lot of language pieces, but mm-hmm. as we, and this is, you know, why in every classroom there are whiteboards and, and flip chart paper and all of that to have easy access when you're having those discussions to then also, again, incidentally at this yeah. age, write it down. Oh yeah. I'm going to put an ED at the end of that. Cause that tells me it's mm-hmm. in the past. So this is yeah. how we say it, you know, cause there's still a lot of children working of course on their language and their pronunciation. And so I think, you know, being able to layer on that written piece to it. And again, it would be incidental. You might be very explicit about what you're doing and showing them, but you know, there's not a, um, you know, kind of expectation that that's fully grasped. But I think as you're saying, Catherine is exposing children to, I love word scientists. I always call the crack code crackers too. You know, they've got their little magnifying glass. Um, but it's because they are genuinely interested in, oh, why is it that word? And why does it say it like this? And I love the, the morphology example you gave. I'm going to share that one out. Um, and just because, again, I think it's all about, and we talk about in the early years, we're setting the foundation. And so setting that foundation that it's interesting and there's cool things to learn about words and different words and why they're spelled this way and why they're said this way and why my mom uses this one and his mom uses this one. And um, cause children, you know, love to compare and know what everybody's doing. We always joke in early years. I mean, it's in, in lower elementary too, but we know so much about what happens in people's homes and uh, my mom used this word yesterday. And what does that mean? And, um, but I think what you're, you know, what you're, you're speaking to, I guess it's that, it's that foundation for an interest and curiosity uh, across, you know, that's one of the big things we do in the early years is value children's innate curiosity and foster that and ask more questions um, and, and encourage them to ask more questions, but doing that about language and literacy in the early years, you know, and again, just really kind of setting that foundation that whether we look at that from a, okay, who's, who's grasping onto this foundation a little bit and who's, you know, it's kind of really not, not uh, setting with them or simply from a, you know, kind of universal approach around uh, an interest in, in language and literacy. You know, we know that, you know, as children move to formalized schooling, it certainly becomes a focus and rightfully so. Um, But setting, I think that foundation of curiosity with them is, is certainly a role that us in early childhood uh, can and, and should be playing, but I, I would argue anyway. Well, and the pride that those little ones have when they come home. Yes, you know everything that happened in the house, but 
parents typically know a lot of what's happened in school. And mm-hmm. the one they could say, mommy, mommy, did you know that bi means two? Yes. And yeah. it's bicycle because it has two wheels. That's so exciting for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and they love sharing their knowledge. So, you know, and then some parents will be like, oh yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully but for bicycle as an example, but Um, yeah. So the other thing that I think is really important in the early childhood years is working on that oral language when we're talking about language comprehension or how to understand the spoken language Mm -hmm. and working on the vocabulary that these kids have, because we want to build up their vocabulary as much as we can. And we want to do it explicitly right? And be very conscious of the language that we're using, because this is when kids' brains are made to learn words. And if you use it, they can learn it. But if you don't, they're not having that exposure, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think of the word the child just used with me this morning. It wasn't a dinosaur name. It was something else. Because I've told you about the example about the you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Oh, it'll come to me. Anyhow. Yeah. I mean, oral language. And, you know, so one way we do that is through serve and return conversations with children, right? Mm -hmm. So genuine conversations back and forth, paying attention, looking at you in the eye um, and having those conversations and using, using vocabulary as you would use it. So there, there's that, you know, kind of one piece. And then to even, you know, put it up a notch there around vocabulary. And we don't really talk about tier two words in early childhood, but the idea that, you know, using, you know, advanced vocabulary, for example, I mean, some of the research has suggested the best place to go for that is read alouds, is picture books, um, is stories. And so, you know, read aloud time and really focusing, as you say, explicitly on some of those words. So, you know, like, I'll suggest to educators in a read aloud, you have your flip chart paper, you have your whiteboard, you know, write three or five of those words down as you're reading that either were interesting or tricky, or you just want to come back to um, do some talk about the words after, whether it's during the story or after the story. So the read aloud piece is huge. And then it really is using authentic language, you know, as we're talking about like using the correct term for something, labeling things as they really are, um, having, you know, in our preschool rooms, having dictionaries. What does that mean? We even set the foundation there. Oh, well, this book actually can help us, I, us find out what that means. You know, it's not that Miss Erin knows the meaning of every word. <laughs> um, so again, just having kind of all those tools and opportunities, but also being very, um, and I talk to my educators a lot about this, being purposeful about it you know and as we've talked about like there can be the the feel good funny or cozy read aloud um and you're not going to write down words and you're not really going to have big conversations about you know a word or something that happened in the story it's more of a feel good experience but you know that you have that purposeful time that you are actually unpacking some words and or you're talking about, you know, if you're doing a project, we, we for a project-based approach. So children, for example, are um, really into bridges right now. A lot of people are traveling in my area. A lot of people will go to Prince Edward Island for vacation 
locations. So they go on the longest bridge. So there's a lot of discussion about bridges. We have a Harbor bridge in our city. And so there's vocabulary building there around that project, but encouraging people to go even further, you know, and to scaffold up a word perhaps that a child is using or how they're describing something and giving them, giving them something else there um, would be, you know, kind of the biggest approaches we use that way. But I think that serve and return. And I, I think Catherine, there's a website I think there's a website for serve and return where they really talk through what that means in the early years. Um, and so, you know, kind of, again, it's just that real waiting even, right? Waiting for children to talk, um, not giving them the words or the vocabulary all the time, but that, you know, these children, um, two, three, four years old, one, two, three, four years old, you know, they're their vocabulary is emerging. So some, there's a lot going on in their brain to uh, put all those words together and express that to you. So giving children also the time to, to have that language experience with you. Yeah, and it's amazing. And I, I love listening to it, especially when they're just starting to get that vocabulary explosion and really understanding how their brain is working. Uh, I find it fascinating. Now, the one thing that I think is really important to discuss is this screening that we can do in preschool. Now, I always like to make clear that we are not diagnosing children in preschool with a learning disorder like dyslexia because they have not been taught to read. The important thing is that we can screen and see where they're at and there are some things that are going to highlight the student is at risk if they don't catch up to their peers in skills related to phonological awareness and phonemic awareness, they're at risk. But this is the most effective time. And if you look at the meta-analyses, it's that pre-K or that four-year-old age where intervention is most effective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so that's why, you know, when we think about kind of the dream and the vision for ECE is we, we certainly need nationally to focus on on this sector in terms of our knowledge, our skills and our capacity to do this work for our education systems, you know, and that's how I pitch it all the time. It's, it's that early intervention for everyone. Yes, for the child, and that's most important. Um, but when we look at things and having to argue for funding or, or training and things like that, it's, you know, it's, it's an early intervention approach that is going to keep many children out of literacy intervention later on if we are able to get them the support and then have them develop the skills and knowledge that they need early, early on, Never mind, you know, kind of the social pieces that are all around that. So I think, you know, that that is a massive piece. I think there's a lot of us doing it in our own organizations as best we can. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of discussions around, you know, it's an evolving sector, early learning and childcare and, and what our, our role is there and what the, the place is of, of us to be having those conversations. But I would argue it's, it is certainly the place and certainly if we have the knowledge and the ability to do that and advise parents, um, you know, even things right down, if we think about speech language pathology, um, you know, I think that's one of, somehow that's become one of, in my area anyway, one of the very accepted um, and popular things that parents will, will, will kind of reach out to SLP services and have those in the early years but we haven't made movement on any other thing around, you know, kind of early screening in terms of 
in terms of literacy, although language is, is massive. So that's fantastic. Um, but, you know, kind of firming up some of that and, and what those what those red flags would be exactly, you know, what kind of the, the approach and conversations would be. And I think just building capacity in our early years system around that uh, monitoring piece or screening and monitoring um, would really serve all children and eventually all communities and families really well uh, for, you know, kind of getting our, our children on a, a better track for learning to read in a formal sense later on. Of course. And one thing that I, I do like to make, mention, at least in Canada, during those zero to five years, there's a separate set of funding and resources available to them before they he, hit the formal schooling age and speech and language pathology work is often included in that. I know me personally, all three of my children went to a speech and language pathologist because they struggled with articulation and, you know, they had some substitution. So they said um, words incorrectly because they didn't recognize the sounds and the things that we can get in at this critical time can make a huge difference long run. Yeah, and you're right. That's a very good point. I believe here in New Brunswick SLPs, it's run out of the health system. So that's why they're touching that population. Um, but that's a really good point and discussion that needs to be had. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know, that 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 speech piece and then how that merges with the literacy piece and, and you know, what are the, you know, and parents, I think, you know, what are the red flags and it's engaging our parents. Parents know, you know, very well, um, often what children know and what they don't know and what they can do because children do different things for different people in different contexts and you know the preschool classroom can be really really busy and some children you know oftentimes boys gender difference there but it's it's well established you know they may not engage in the meeting every day they may not be the ones who want to sign in and sign out every day and put a little heart beside their name uh, like my my niece loves to do um, but you know they there is knowledge and there is skills that they have and it's that that partnership that we we do well in early years around that partnership with the family and you know families know their children best families want their children to thrive but again how can we now layer on this what may seem to some as more academic or you know as we begin to emerge these more formalized skills but we do have those children and, and those abilities in our centers and so for Canada what does what does that look like and what what role can we play I think we do have, um, you know, new federal provincial deals going on with childcare, mostly related to um, probably most Canadians feel that's related to the cost of childcare, but the, the, the uh, agreements actually really talk when you read them, which I have, I'm sure most people have not read different provinces, but you know, it is about high quality, building a high quality early learning and childcare system. And I think, you know, my argument would be that, that this literacy piece very much falls into building a high quality system. And, you know, looking at that time spent with an SLP, I know as parents, we're busy, there's so much going on and adding that extra piece it's just like, is it really necessary? Mm -hmm. But I can almost guarantee that the hours that you put in with that SLP and working on those activities are going to pay tenfold than if you didn't do it. Because the older the child gets, especially with these phonological processing issues, the harder it is to remediate and the longer that it takes. 
So if it would take you 10 hours with a three or four-year-old, it might take you 40 hours with, you know, a six or a seven-year-old. Well, it brings me to, and I must've wrote this line many, many times throughout writings I've done, but you know, it's that reading difficulties emerge early. Um, They're, they become well-established and are highly resistant to change in the absence of skilled, you know, intervention, or what I would now say in the absence of skilled core in instruction. And again, talking a little more formal there, but I think the message for ECE is that those, those reading difficulties do emerge early. And that's what we're saying today is that we, we can see some of them in preschool. And so, you know, the investment of time um, and resources is, is worthy and it, it is worth it. I think like you're saying at the SLP, we, you know, do again, mostly with SLPs have the luxury of having a lot of them come to our centers. So families, you know, integrating those supports into children's days. So it's not, you know, mom rushing to the hospital at five o'clock to make it, you know, for an appointment or during the day, most of them are. Um, And that would be my other, you know, kind of vision for ECE is integrating that all around the child and where they are very, you know, similar to what we do with school. Yeah. Well, it's, it's important. And I think we're headed in the right direction, which is promising. So thank you so much for joining me today, Erin. I really enjoyed our conversation and I think you're doing a wonderful job and hopefully uh, early child learning hood or early childhood learning centers can learn from the great work that you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Catherine. I appreciate speaking to you. I appreciate the the spotlight that you were shining on this report and the implications it has across sectors and and groups of children and, and practitioners. So appreciate your time too. Thank you. Thank you.